This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. That's the complete absence or the perceived absence of them from their environment, which can be really kind of disenfranchising and really dislocate you if you don't feel like you belong. Silence is not always a positive thing. Silence is the absence of something and doesn't really help you to feel included. So don't ask, don't tell. To borrow a phrase from another place and another time is inherently negative and will push you away and not make you feel part of a community. I took a photo of one of the post-its from the student workshop and it just simply said, I need support. Kia ora. I'm Dr Denise Quinlan. In this season of Bringing Wellbeing to Life, we're talking about collective resilience. And I'm with change makers who are growing the resilience of the world around them. Today, in the second part of my conversation with Lex Davis, we're discussing his experience of working with LGBTQIA youth and what schools can do to better support and enable their students with diverse gender identities to thrive. Lex is Napui and Takatapui, an experienced educator and a staunch and wise advocate for LGBTQIA and Māori youth. Let's dive straight back in. Lex, it's not always easy going into schools to work with their LGBTQIA youth, and you do that quite a bit. Tell us about that work. What's really important is that I don't, I don't go in... Well, I do go in with my sets of assumptions and beliefs, um, but it's really important for me to go through that process of of, discover, of discovery and, and, you know, empathy, particularly where it's a context where I feel vulnerable or um, which is new to me. I had a wonderful opportunity to work with a, a faith-based school and that was really interesting because it really challenged me personally. Um, because it, it spoke to my past and the whakapapa of my family, um, and but also to a space which I traditionally found really difficult personally. Um, yeah. with, you know, the, it, the intersection of religion and gender and sexuality identity is not always um, a calm one. So I was going in there holding my breath, Denise. <laughs> I love going in there, holding your breath personally, but also knowing that students who were questioning gender and sexuality really need support in those environments. Um, and that was a real pleasure was that the leadership team were open. They were open to learning and open, open to change in... Because of that, I was able to suggest, would you trust me to go in and talk with your students? Um, and they agreed. And that was the start of of the work. It wasn't going, what does the school need? It is going, well, let me find out what, what is needed in this context. And, you know, um, am I working from... So that we both aren't working from our assumptions and our biases. And I was blown away. Um, 
there were so many students that turned up to that workshop and they on a, on a very busy day on with a many busy other day things at the end of the year. Um, and yeah. we were expecting a very small group, um, and in the end, around um, thirty or more students came um, either to be there or to support people who were there. Which again speaks volumes in another. That's a whole other story, isn't it? Around what's working in that school. Yeah. And and um, and so so that's the first big hurdle over that the school goes. A, we want you to come in. B, yes, we trust you to work with our students. And then, how did it go? Um, I had to really carefully think about the space that you create when you are working with groups of people and and that facilitation space Um, because it could have been quite easy to come across as uh, someone who is coming coming in and telling you what to do and what to think and how to think. And I know that isn't always a space of growth um, and doesn't always make changing mindsets or accepting different perspectives easy. Um, so, And given that, given that encouraging agency is at the core of the work you're doing, it also kind of flies in the face of that, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So the first step was being honest. I, you know, I, I shared why I, why this was important and why I felt vulnerable um, in my connection to the context. Um, and, you know, it is about going, well, okay, let's approach this as, as, as humans and as people that are sharing a space and think about what you bring to that space and what I bring to that space. And I'm here to share with you. I'm not here to indoctrinate you or force you to to think in a, in, in a particular way, but what I can show you is is the voice of your students, and what I can show you is uh, all of those things that make their lives difficult in terms of all of those those negative social outcomes and, and statistics. And then what I can what I can hope to, to share with you is, you know, different perspectives. Um, I was lucky enough to be joined by other people from their community who shared their perspective. And it was a real moment of uko for me, of learning as well as as teaching. Um, and, yeah, I think it was a space navigated. <laughs> I was sweating through my blazer, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um but at, but at the end of it, there was learning and you were able to share with the school a different understanding of who these people are and what they need, what's not working for them and what they'd like. Yeah. yeah. There was this, I took a photo of one of the post-its from the student workshop and it just simply said, I need support. And I just left that on a slide. And, you know, the, the simplicity of that plea is so powerful and yeah. I guess that cuts through a whole lot of difference and noise just to say help. Help, yeah. And so is that is that the, was that the big message from these students? What, how, what were the key themes that came out? Because they won't be the only school that will have these issues. There's a lot of, yeah. there's a thread here, isn't there? Yeah. Um, it's... Yeah. 
things that go to the core of identity is, is visibility, um, is understanding, and um, as, as voice. You know, um, I think they're they've, they're savvy and, and complex and smart enough to realise that people hold different ways of thinking. But um, I guess it's the the, the complete absence. Um, or the perceived absence of them from their environment, which can be really kind of disenfranchising and really dislocate you if you don't feel like you belong. That's such a a terrible sentence, the perceived absence of you from your environment, that you see other people are pretending you're not there, that you don't exist, that who you are doesn't exist. Yeah. But it's... and I guess that's one of the interesting points that I've had a chance to reflect on is silence. Uh, silence is not always a positive thing. Um, is that, you know, silence is, is the absence of something um, and doesn't really help you to feel included. So don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> to yeah, a phrase yeah. from another place and another time is inherently negative and and will will push you away and not make you feel part of a community. And and that's a really I guess what we're saying is that's too low a bar. Yeah. It's it's like saying no one's hitting me. <laughs> you know that that that's not a great standard. And like I've I've since my time at school and you know, shifting through a number of generations of students, they're no longer prepared to accept that. You know, Gen Z is different to to millennial, to to Gen X, to who, whichever generation. They don't accept that bar to be set that low. Their yeah. their aspirations and their expectations of us as educators and as schools um, are just they want more than that. Tell us more about what what is it they want? What are the changes they want to see? What are the things they want schools to do? Uh, schools, it, families, communities. It's, it's a hard space because you know, um, by speaking into it, um, I'm I'm taking that space away from them. So, if I can give one learning to other other teachers and other schools, is create create the space create the space for them and they'll tell you how to fill it they'll tell you what they're ready for they'll tell you what what the the risks are what their peers are thinking you know what the opportunities are and and what they're capable of um because they're much more attuned to the environment as as it exists to 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 either nurture or um to to harm the identities that they hold dear uh because that they live it. They live it, and it's such a. If you think about to your teenage self, uh, you, that living is for through whatever growth and psychological phases you're going through is so intense, so intense, um, and it sits on your shoulder. So, if you can create a space where they can take a breath, uh, where they can just feel safe. Um, and then when they're ready, they can speak into it 
at their time, in their time, you know, you move at the speed of trust and all that, um, you'll be surprised what you'll learn. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. There isn't a box set of issues you can address, but there is a process. Yeah. And it's about creating the space where people can speak into. Mm. And you talk, there's some other expressions that I really like that you use, Lex, around, you talk about it's helpful to sort the common ground. Tell us more about that. It's a struggle sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> you know, as I get older and grumpier um, and, and set in my ways, I, sometimes I, I feel that I want to push. And I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not in a space feeling like a, a space of nurturing. But um, I always have to check myself because I've had years of um, living and learning about particular things. Um, but sometimes when we meet each other, we don't know about one another. And you have to have the humility just to step back and go, okay, where and how am I meeting you at the moment? Um, and if we had to work together, you know, where are we starting from? Where is that, where is that common ground? Because no matter where you, where you go and what you do, you'll, you'll nearly always find it. And that's the beautiful thing I love about te ao Māori is that whakawhanaungatanga is, and that's, you know, the connecting and building relationships is an essential part of, of just being with one another. And it's part of a process that we've, that we've adopted and we use widely now in Aotearoa. But it allows me to connect with you, who you are um, and what you're doing. Like at Ahui, where I was, where I knew a few people yesterday through a process of, of mihi mihi and, and talking about where we come from, I got to meet someone who was a relative um, and immediately the nature of our nature of our relationship shifted. It shifted um, to being receptive and trusting and, you know, sharing place names and people. And, I mean, you were sharing with me about your tūpuna on your wall behind you in the pictures. Um, and immediately I can connect to that. Um, so mm. I don't. it's not something to be left to chance, and I really value the chance to, to find that common ground. And, and for people who are outside Aotearoa, New Zealand, whakawhanangatanga is the process of making us whānau, making us family, establishing, finding and building our connections between each other so that we feel connected and therefore safe enough to do whatever it is we've come to do. And I think increasingly in the last 30 years, there's a, a growing recognition that we're not going to do good work and we're not going to do important work unless we actually take the time to know who we are in the room and know each other. And, and certainly in the kind of work we're talking about here, we're not going to make very much progress unless we adopt this kind of approach. And, and I, love, I love you talk about getting to a position of safety and learning and sorting the common ground. And it's the heavy lifting of creating the space, isn't it? Yes. And 
you have to resist the urge to 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 charge in um especially when you know when you feel so passionately about protect protecting and supporting um and you know you've and that's i say that having having made those mistakes and having lived through those experiences um and it's really important to share that so that you can help other people you know to support better ways of doing that um and just being well-intentioned and a caped crusader isn't enough sometimes and sometimes it's exactly what we don't need that's right um the cape crusader flies in and flies out and um if you're dealing with people you can't really do that you know one of the concerns i guess that i have for youth now how do we make sure there is enough space for them to grow into, that we're not squashing them or pigeonholing them. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's really important that you have some kind of self-awareness because without that self-awareness, you're never going to create space for others. Like, I'm older. I'm not youth. And I shouldn't, I'm not, and nor should I speak for um, youth because their experience is completely different from mine. And if you take a moment to, to say, stop, I was born in, you know, born in the dark ages and my my experience of life is, is worlds away from, um, from youth. And even though I work with them, well, as a teacher, especially work with them every single day, still doesn't mean that, you know, I'm leaving space for them. It just means that I know about them and I'm carrying all of all of that knowledge and all of those assumptions. But unless I consciously do something about it, you know, it doesn't, you know, you're not creating space for them to be who they are and to, to discover and form and change. Um, they're, just, they're so different. So, and so that kind of brings us to... Um, you know, one of the things, Lex, that you said is that you really want people to do is to share some space. And and one of the concerns that <clears throat> pops into my head is around, but I think sometimes the people who are holding the space don't even know they're holding the space. So like what you just described, you're aware that you are older, a different generation, and that your lived experience is not your students' lived experience. You know you, and, and you're the teacher, you're kind of holding the space. You're, you're at least aware of that. So before we can even think about, so I, I guess what I want to do is say for people who are holding the space, how do we help them see they're holding the space? And give us an example of something they could do to share it. Yeah, that I mean, you hold the space. <laughs> Clues that you hold space. Um, that you're surrounded by people like you. Um, that you you are the one whose voice fills up that space. Um, that you feel very comfortable in that space, uh, or that you hold power in that space. So, I guess. If you're listening, or if you are being challenged, or if you are sitting in a space where you don't recognize 
your your own histories, your own culture, your own backgrounds, then you know that's a clue that that's a that's a different space. Yeah. Um, and I know coming from a space of working in school leadership is that sometimes that's really hard because a you have best intentions. Um, B, that you have um, a lot of experience and C, that you are are all over current thinking, research and best practice um, and C, that, you know, this is, you are in a, a, a privileged position of, of holding a powerful space in people's lives and that can be an irresistible combination where you just hold spaces for people and you do things for, and, um, and I've done that time and time again, and, that, and whether that's through arrogance or expediency, yeah. And but, I think sometimes there's the there's arrogance, expediency, and the whole uh, kind of savior thing of, but I know all the research. I, I, I think anytime we can hear ourselves in our heads going, but I know best, I want to do what's best for them. We should have alarm bells going off, yeah? Yeah. So how do you do that? It's just making, it's stopping, you know, having the equity pause going, oh, wait. Um, Say that again, the equity pause. (laughs) Describe that a little more. If you're you're racing ahead and you're talking about people and you're going to make changes and you, it's, you know, stop, stop and think who who isn't who isn't who haven't we listened to who isn't at this table who are we impacting on have we actually have we really considered that and have we talked to them um, that happens all the time in schools are we doing in there are different ways of having equity pauses you know they might not physically be at the table but you can stop and have conversations yeah and you can come back to it um, so take take that as a gift. It's a real gift to equity pause because not only does it allow you to include other thinking and other voices, it gives you time to, to sit with yours too and go, oh, actually, in the heat of the moment, I was thinking in this way, but, you know, it's given me a chance to, to reconsider. And we can all reconsider, grow and change. Yeah. Yeah. And so I love this. I'm hearing the first thing is a little bit of self-awareness and some clues that you're holding the space. And then when you have that moment of self-awareness, the first thing is to stop, equity pause, and then ways of bring ways of sharing the space. What are some um, first steps for people, some examples of things they can do that will help them share space? Oh. Well, I guess hmm, that's a difficult one. There's so many different contexts and ways, but like I'm going to take a a lunar relationships. Um, so think of your 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 professional learning networks and and your personal learning networks. You know, are you if you're doing work about or with a certain group you know how are, how are you connected to and through them you know it's 
you know, is it through colleagues? Is it through um, some great Twitter groups? Is it through some internet research groups? Is it, you know, so you can consider all of that um, and make some conscious efforts to just to, to think how you how are you connected and how you work with it. Um, and I guess another tool is to really consider group dynamics um, and have an agreed way of thinking and working. If you are going to, if you're going to work in a way that, that, that honours and creates space, you can't be the only person in, in a group that holds that or else you'll be seen as the, the, the agitator and people won't understand the role of, and they'll just see you as the person, you know, making us stop or, you know, saying why well, we need to do this. It needs to be a shared expectation. Um, I just think as an example, it's, it's really nice not to marginalise people in that space too. So like if you're working with Māori, it's hard to be the only Māori in a group because if something is mentioned, the reaction is for people to look at you um, and to, you know, and to, it's nice if someone else says, well, have, can we consider, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's nice. It's good to to spread the load of of making space and holding and, and, and valuing identity. So you don't, you need an ally, really. You need allies because you don't want to be the person who is always holds that space because holding space can be hard and vulnerable and it weighs on you to carry that on your shoulders. So allies. Yeah. And I guess so we're speaking, if we're speaking to people realizing they are the people with power who hold the space, then they're ideal people to speak up. Um, that is a share that then they become an ally. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I like what you were saying about when we have an, when we take an equity pause and think about who's, whose voices are not at the table, who's not even in the room. Um, and I guess one way of sharing space is to say, how do we invite them in? Yeah. Yeah. You can do that in many ways, you know. They don't have to be a physical presence. But if, if there's no presence and if there's no real connection, then, you know, you're never going to gain from their perspective and their, and their view. Yeah. So I guess if, we've, if they have articulated, if the people who aren't present have articulated their needs, let's bring them to the table. If they haven't, how can we find out? Who can we go and talk to? Yeah. So that's a first really small step in sharing the space. Mm. And, and when you see in places where they've successfully done that, what kind of other things have you seen work out in terms of sharing space? Well, I guess I think if you shift from personal, then you can start. And if you grow... A, an individual response, then you can really shift into thinking about an organisational and policy response. Uh, and that's where you start to make those bigger changes. Um, so, for example, you know, uh, in, if we're taking LGBTQIA plus stuff as an example, you know, it's, it's 
shifts from making, you know, from safety to actually empowering. So uh, a local school, for example, have made a big shift in terms of, of student leadership. Um, so they've worked through Maslow's, I guess it is rough, and they've ensured that, and the students there obviously feel safe enough and are supported enough where they've worked with a community organisation to, to de-gender their leadership structure. So they have head students. Um, and it's big for schools because student leadership is, is has a big history and is really prized. Or another um, primary school I, I walked in the other the other week um, had a rainbow uh, pedestrian across their playground and they had a plaque that said, we value diversity and we think that um, this space should be safe for everyone. You know, that that is definitely an organi- organisational and a policy response, you know, because if people have a problem, they're going to respond to, the, say, the Board of Trustees and they would have had to have, you know, thought about what... This has been a, a, this has been chosen, approved, decided on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and ownership becomes collective rather than individual. So you're not just a, a gay teacher or a gay student or a gay leader. You know, we've, yeah. we've, we've devolved and evolved responsibility to so that it becomes part of our organisation and then part of our, our learning and our, and our social and cultural cultures. Um, and yeah, you could, it's easy to see the connection between small acts of individuals coalescing and you know setting the necessary preconditions for action as groups and as actions as wider individuals. And then if you've got three or four schools who say we want to do this and we look at what you're doing, and then that becomes a really positive, you know, wider structural and societal change. And um, so that's really cool to see. Some people sail through life. You know, we talked about this earlier. Like some people, some people know who they are. They fit the mainstream life flows. Other people, it's a lifelong work to be clear who we are, where we fit in, what we want. Um, and it's so much work and it's fraught with difficulty that, you, you know, you think, well, why would we want to make it harder for anyone than it is? You know, I think that for the big questions of who am I, where do I belong, and what do I want to contribute to the world are challenging enough for humans to work out without us not being allowed to be who we are or not being encouraged and supported. It's really interesting. Because what I've found in community work and in in social work and activism is that those who have been um, disenfranchised or or are part of a minority uh, are more inclined to help those that come after them in that there's an interesting t- statistic about um, uh, LGBTQIF youth in, in that Youth 2000 study where they were more involved in community organisations than their um, straight identifying or heterosexual identifying um, peers. And 
I think you'll find you'll you'll find that um, because there is that's reaction that that difficulty and challenge you know a really positive reaction is that actually you want to make that easier for those that come after you and I think that's I love that response and that's something that I really value um, yeah. whereas if you're not forced into that position you know why you have to actively choose allyship and that's wonderful as well but I, and I like though as well that as part of this process, the people who've had to to work hard to work out and who they are and claim that identity have developed so many skills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're ready to take on, you know, as the other life challenges arrive. We're like, you yeah, got this. I, I, this is I know how to, I know how to get down waist deep in the mud and and wrestle alligators to work things out because I've done it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and sometimes that's the case and other times it can just pull us under the mud. And I guess, you know, that's that's the, the really nice thing about um, getting older and becoming more sure in whatever challenges you've faced is that you are, you're, there's more of you out of the mud than in the mud, so you're ready to take on something new. Thank you very much, Lex, for being with me today. My pleasure. Kia ora, Denise. Lex, thank you for your wisdom and generosity, for inspiring us with hope and practical steps that educators or parents can take to support LGBTQIA plus youth and enable them to belong and to be seen. If you want to access support or learn more about the gender identity issues we've been discussing, please go to the full show notes at nziwr.co.nz where we will post some useful links that Lex has shared with us. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. To learn more about how you can build wellbeing and resilience for your team, go to nziwr.co.nz. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate the podcast to help others who might enjoy it find it more easily. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.